Preface of War and Woman by Mrs. St. Clair Stobart. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Céline Major. War and Woman by Mrs. St. Clair Stobart. Prefatory Note by Viscount Escher, GCB. I have been asked to write a few introductory words to this book. As president of the County of London Territorial Association, I became acquainted with Mrs. St. Clair Stobart and her work. We have differed much in opinion, but we have worked well together for the interests of the territorial force. Like her, I have resigned my connection with the British Red Cross Society, not being satisfied that the organization, plan, and sphere of operations of the society, although philanthropic, are framed with a sole view to the welfare of our country. When Mrs. St. Clair Stobart told me that she was going to the Balkans with the convoy corps, I reminded her of my publicly stated objections to sending assistance to foreign armies engaged in war, on the ground that any help whatever, however humane the motive, is a breach of neutrality and is tantamount to taking part in the war. This record of the convoy corps' achievements in the Balkans proves how effectively a body of well-meaning, philanthropic and earnest folk can assist combatants, patching up wounded to go and kill and maim their opponents, thus breaking the law of neutrality as completely as though they supplied arms or cash or munitions of war, or even volunteers, in a cause which is not the cause of our land and people. Mrs. St. Clair Stobart has, however, done this great service. She has proved by experience and example what women can achieve in war, and, although I am not prepared to accept all her inferences and assent to all her deductions on the disputed position of women in the social ordinance of civilized states, it is impossible to resist her plea for a reconsideration of the place assigned to them in the scheme of national defense. Nursing the sick and wounded in war is clearly women's work. The detailed arrangements, their plan and ordering, are a sphere of activity for women in peace. As matters now stand, nursing schemes are worked out and stereotyped by the military authorities without advice or suggestion from those who, in war, will have to bear the chief burden. The plea has always been that the hierarchy of the RAMC know all about war and its requirements, whereas women know nothing. This book disposes of that fallacy. It is doubtful whether any RAMC officer can claim an experience equal to that of the convoy corps and its medical staff. Has full advantage been taken of this experience so dearly purchased by weeks of physical and moral suffering? I should be curious to know. In Russia and in Japan, the Red Cross Society is admirably organized, and its work is far-reaching in peace and war. In Great Britain, there is no one body or one authority that corresponds to the Red Cross Society in those countries. Here there are, as usual, cross-currents in peace and sure confusion in war. The respective spheres of the British Red Cross Society, the Order of St. John, and the RAMC are quite undefined, and urgently require definition. If Mrs. St. Clair Stobart's book succeeds in drawing public attention to the want of sound organization for the relief of the sick and wounded in the schemes of imperial offense and defense, it will have achieved the object with which I hope it was planned and written. Escher Proem when it was first suggested to me, on my return from the Balkans, that I should write a book describing my experiences during the war, I was taken by surprise. Oh, no, certainly not, I answered. Why, it would be all about myself. 
it had, besides, never occurred to me that anything had been accomplished worthy of being written about. I had done what I set out to do, and there was an end of it, I thought. I had wished to give a practical demonstration of the fact that women are capable of taking an independent and serviceable share in national defense. That demonstration was successful, and thereafter it was nunc dimittis as far as I was concerned. But then it was borne in upon me that unless this demonstration was a demonstration to the public, its significance as an object lesson would be lost. It was my duty, I was told, to place on record the experiences of this little company of women, who had, after opposition from the home authorities, performed on their own, amidst some difficulties in a foreign country, work which has not before been done exclusively by women, within the area of war. I then realized that the object which I have at heart, the inclusion of women as practical and living factors in the territorial service, might be adversely affected by my silence. It is useless to toy with ideas. Ideas, if they are worth anything, must be hammered in. It was horrible for me that there was nobody else to do this particular bit of hammering, but as it had to be done, I yielded. I am not a writer of books, and I dislike publicity. To be thus compelled to write in book form and in the first person singular was a double nightmare. I confess I would almost rather have gone through my war experiences again than have written about them. But now it is done, and I am only anxious that those who may read the story shall understand that it has not been written under the belief that we accomplished during our Balkan expedition anything wonderful. There was nothing wonderful about it. The book has been written solely with a view to showing that women can be of independent service in national defense. The experiences I have gained in the Balkans have taught me many things. As a result, I am convinced that if women are to become efficient members of a national service and are to be allowed to give to the nation's defenses of their very best, they must no longer be played with, as at present by the British Red Cross Society's scheme of voluntary aid detachments. They must be trained and adopted wholeheartedly by the territorial army. Women must no longer be regarded as apocryphal numbers, but as worthy to be included in the inspired text of the national religion of patriotism. As a protest in this direction, I have resigned my membership of the County Committee and also of the Executive Council of the County of London Branch of the British Red Cross Society, because I feel that the telescopes of this society are, as concerns the work of women, directed to the past rather than to the future, and there is no hope that under the aegis of this organization anything practical will result. From the moment when the BRCS inaugurated under the War Office its system of VADs, I have, in conducting the Women's Convoy Corps, worked loyally with the former society in the hope that through them my ultimate aim of obtaining for women an adequate training would be fulfilled. I am now, however, convinced that the BRCS is not the appropriate medium for providing the country with an imperially and practically trained body of women. That being my belief, I have felt it necessary to resign, not only from the BRC Society's committees, but also from the Women's Convoy Corps, of which I was the founder and the organizing commandant. For the Corps has always been, from the time of the inception of the VAD scheme, intimately associated with the Red Cross Society. And rather than ask the Corps to sacrifice this official respectability and come out into the wilderness with me, I have resigned and become a freelance. It is not without sorrow that I relinquish the fellowship of an organization which had become an intimate portion of my life and dissociate myself from Red Cross work. 
but paper protests are valueless. And though the BRCS is a large and influential body, and is not likely to be affected by my secession, I believe that no genuine protestant ever protests quite in vain. Upon the two subjects with which the book deals, war and women, I have probably spoken more firmly than will be commendable to many. But for anybody who has passed the jellyfish stage of existence, it would have been impossible to encounter war in the Balkans, and women there and elsewhere, as I encountered them, without deriving from these experiences strong impressions, one way or another. I condemn war, and therefore militarists will be offended. And I vindicate women, and anti-feminists will perhaps be shocked. But condemnation and vindication are both alike based, not upon book-derived theories, but upon practical observation. I can therefore offer no apology for presenting untainted evidence. But both militarists and anti-feminists will probably in chorus accuse me of inconsistency. How, they will demand, is it possible logically to condemn war as a barbarism, and yet in one and the same breath to plead that women should participate in war? But the inconsistency is on the part of the governments of Europe. These spend millions annually in providing materials for the mutual destruction of each other's armies, and then expend further millions in providing hospitals, surgeons, and Red Cross paraphernalia for the restoration to life of those same armies. If these governments have made up their minds that it is virtuous to kill their enemies, in accordance with the Mohammedan rather than the Christian faith, it would be more consistent if they abolished Red Cross work. But no man in Europe has the courage of this conviction. In the meantime, so long as the honor of the men of a nation is involved in taking life, so long must the honor of women be concerned in the attempt to save life. From this there is no logical escape, and for this reason, women and war, beauty and the beast, must make their grim alliance. M. A. Stobart End of Preface and Proem